The following sermon by Pastor Rick Holland is brought to you by Mission Road Bible Church. For more information, visit missionroadbiblechurch.com. Take your Bibles and turn to the book of Deuteronomy again. The book of Deuteronomy. We are going to cover some ground tonight. And it's going to be pretty easy because last week we did something that I'm going to confess I have never done before. We read four chapters uh, all together, and um, I've never read that much scripture publicly, and it was a blast for me, a little bit fatiguing, and uh, thank you for your patience. There were a lot of names and places that uh, I spent some time trying to work out, and they didn't quite get worked out in the sermon, in the, in the reading like I had hoped, um, so you can come and correct any of those pronunciations as you see fit. fit. My mom had a very unique way of looking at life. She was a country girl from Tennessee. She is now with the Lord, and I, uh, I have the fondest memories of my mom. She often angered me with her simplicity and her penetrating insights into who I am and who I was. I remember I hadn't been married very long. I was sitting at one of the uh, the, my favorite uh, restaurants in Tennessee. I was living in California. I came back and took my wife out for the first time with my mom to the culinary marvel called the Waffle House. <laughs> and mom and I were going back and forth. We were having some fun. And I remember her saying in front of my precious wife, nonetheless, Ricky, you know a lot of things. But let me tell you right now, you don't know everything. My wife has reminded me of that quite often. <laughs> I was often irritated by her Tennessee wisdom and, uncommon, and, and common sense rather approach to life. When I was in high school, I ran track, and I ran what was called the suicide double. It was the one mile and the two mile, four laps for the mile, eight laps for the two mile. That's right, 12 laps each meet, four for the mile, eight for the two mile. My parents would come. They would watch the meets. They were generally encouraging folks. But mom once put things into perspective for me in a way that I have never forgotten. She was sweet as she could be, and her, almost as sweet as her iced tea. I mean, her iced tea was so sweet that we, it doubled as pancake syrup. I mean, it was that sweet. It was uh, basically you took a whole bag of sugar, threw some tea bags in there, shook it in some water, and that was, that was it. Well, after a meet one time, we went out to, to for some dinner, and I, uh, I, she said, Ricky, would you help me understand something? I said, sure, Mom. She says, why do you run track? I thought, I wanted to say I'm good, but that didn't work. I said, well, I want to. I tried to give her some reason for, you know, the, the, the thrill of athletic competition, whatever. And she said, well, I just don't understand because... You run three miles every track meet, don't you? And I said, yes, Mom, I do. You've been counting. She says, you run three miles and end up in the same place you started. There's really no answer for that. <laughs> this was the same woman, by the way, when I played football, who said, I just don't understand. If they would give both teams a ball, this would solve everything. <laughs> so... When you open the book of Deuteronomy, Moses is describing that circular event where you end up in the same place that you began. We read it last week. Let's read it again. 
These are the words of Moses, which Moses spoke to all Israel across the Jordan and the wilderness, in the Arabah, opposite Suf, between Paran and Tophil and Laban and Hazroth and Dizhab. It is 11 days, 11 days' journey from Horeb by the way of Mount Seir to Kadesh Barnea. And then he says, in the 40th year. That is so strategically framed. It is so strategically articulated. It should have taken a week and a half to get from the deliverance of Egypt to the promised land. And yet, four decades later, you're not there. Why? Why? Well, Moses is going to take the next three chapters and explain exactly why. But have you ever thought about the fact that this wasn't new information? Do you think all the people whose parents had died out in the wilderness were now standing on the plains of Moab about to enter across in the Transjordan experience into the promised land? They were saying, why? I mean, it's just up the road. Why are we not there? Do you think it was a curiosity that they had no idea why they weren't in the promised land earlier? No. They knew exactly why. And you say, well, then why was Moses retelling them? And for this moment, okay, kids, please give me some grace. Because most of you said, Mom, Dad, why the lecture? I understand. I can finish the lecture for you. I know the points of your lecture. I know the illustrations of your lecture. I have this lecture memorized. In fact, you gave it to me an hour ago, and now I'm getting it again. And your mom or dad will typically say, and you'll get it tomorrow too, right? What's the point of that? Well, it's to remind you of the discipline that you are encountering. Just for a moment, turn over to Deuteronomy chapter 30. Toward the end of the book, Moses writes this book. He is standing on the plains of Moab. He is preaching these sermons, a series of sermons, to the, the four sermons to the children of Israel, followed by a song and a benediction at the end of the book. He is telling them what they need to know, to remember, to inherit the land and be profitable and to enjoy life. In Deuteronomy chapter 30, really the, the climax of the book comes in verses 19 to 20. Two words stand out here that really are the motivation for us to study this book because I think the promise holds true for us in a spiritual sense in the same way it held for the children of Israel standing on the edge of the promised land. Moses says, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, the blessing and the curse. He's saying, I want heaven to know, I want you to be a witness to the fact that I have been responsible to tell you what you're responsible for. I have been responsible to tell you what God's requirements are moving forward in the land. I have been responsible to tell you what will happen if you honor God and obey Him and what will happen if you dishonor God and disobey Him. So in the middle of verse 19, he says this, so do what? Choose life. Choose life. There's the two words. Choose life in order that you may live. You and your descendants by loving 
the Lord your God. How do you have life? How can you choose life? He gives us the, the answer. By loving the Lord your God, by obeying his voice, and by holding fast to him. For this is your life and the length of your days that you may live in the land which the Lord uh, swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to give them. Choose life. How do you choose life? How do you honor God? How do you live a life that's a blessing to you, that brings you good during this temporal experience on this world, and brings glory to him in heaven, and paves the way for a life eternal of bliss and enjoyment with him in his presence? How do you do that? It's real simple. Do you love the Lord your God? Do you obey his voice? And do you hold fast to him? That's at the end. Now, that's the conclusion to everything Moses says in the first 29 chapters up to that point. It's encouraging. It's important for us to keep the end in mind as we're going through this study. He wants to build a case so that we will choose life, we'll make right decisions in order to love God. Why would we love God? It's the same answer as to why you would love anyone. We found him to be lovely. He gives us reason after reason after reason to love God. He doesn't make it arbitrary. He doesn't make it capricious. He says, here are the reasons to love God. Here is what he's like. And if you understand what he's like, you'll love him and obey him. Why obey God? Because he tells us obedience equals blessing. Disobedience equals cursing. It's real simple. It's what we try to teach our two-year-olds. It's what we try to remind ourselves even in the communion service. If you do this, you're going to have a life that you enjoy. Listen, do you want to be miserable? I hope you say no. But if you want to be miserable, here's how to do it. Stiff-arm God. Lean on your own understanding. Trust your own intuition and instincts. Think that you have life figured out and that obeying him will bring you a less than satisfactory existence. And you'll struggle and you'll grope and you'll look for meaning and significance and happiness and you'll never find it. And the answer, we're going to see this in this book, the answer is if you don't follow God's clearly spelled out statutes, ordinances, his word, then you're going to figure it on out, and then you'll begin to blame everyone else for your unhappiness. That's exactly what the Israelites did. They blamed everybody except themselves. And Deuteronomy keeps coming back and says, time out, it's all about you. It's all about you and your sin before it's all about God and his grace. You have to recognize that. So we find ourselves, and we're just going to hover Uh, very briefly over these first three chapters because you can go back and read in the book of Numbers what's happened. We covered it pretty significantly last week. The Israelites are on the plains of Moab looking across. They're just a little north of the the Dead Sea, um, just south of Jericho. They were about to cross over and they were to learn the importance of loyalty to the covenant from which the experiences of the previous generation had defaulted. The laws of Moses were designed to benefit the people of God as they moved into the promised land under Joshua's leadership. And loyalty to the covenant would be renewed with blessings and disobedience would be punished punished by cursings. The Israelites were to renew their commitment to the covenant as they waited on the plains of Moab after 
entering into the promised land to look back and say, Moses told us what to do. They had already known it. This was review before the final exam. At the end of the 40-year period in the wilderness, on the plains of Moab, due east of Jericho and the Jordan River, they now hear the last sermons of Moses. Just a brief uh, uh, overview of what we're going to do this week and next. Tonight we're looking just very um, high altitude at chapters 1 through 3, which is Moses' review of the 40-year journey. And in chapter 4, Moses gives a summary of God's covenant with the Israelites. We're going to look at that specifically next week. But let's just look, just really in a cursory sense, at what we read last week, this 40 years in the wilderness. Now I asked some of the kids, and uh, some of you came up and told me afterwards, why why couldn't this generation go into the promised land? Do you remember? Moses couldn't go because he did what? He hit the rock twice. They couldn't go. That generation couldn't go because God sent how many spies? Twelve spies. This is like, it's like fourth grade Sunday school class. I love it. Twelve spies. They go in. They spy out the land. How many of them said, bad idea? There's big guys in there. They're, they're tall. Anybody tall can't be godly. That was their conclusion. They were tall. We can't defeat them. How many, that was a joke, how many said, this is a problem, we cannot go inherit this land out of 12? Oh, hang on, I see a hand. How many? 10. And how many said, this is a good idea because the Lord is with us? Two, Joshua and Caleb. Well, because they, they stiff-armed God, they said, you promised us this, but we, I mean, think about what they said. We don't believe you. We believe our eyes and the, the, the bigness, tallness, power ready to battleness of these Canaanites more than we believe your promise. So God says, is that right? Is that right? Then you won't go. If you've been to Israel and you've taken the journey down the Negev, out in the wilderness, and it's been in anywhere near the summertime, you will know about what I am about to speak. Uh, I was there in uh, June several years ago, and uh, our tour guide um, took us out in the wilderness. It was 116 degrees, and he, we were in this nice air-conditioned bus. He said, I want everybody to go out, take your Bibles, and I want you to sit out there for 30 minutes. 30 minutes and read your Bible and just experience the wilderness. So we went out there and sat. About two minutes in, I was complaining. And I, I thought, those Israelites, I mean, I think I get it. It is nothingness. And it's just a couple days walk to Canaan. Now, the question becomes over and over, well, why, why didn't they just go? Well, when they saw the phenomenon of God judging the sons of Korah, when they saw the power of God and God said, if you go, I'll kill you, that wasn't good news. They couldn't go. So, God made them like that track, round in circles, from here to there, always moving and never settling. Have you ever thought about the kids of that generation? They were born in tents. They grew up in tents. They saw their parents die in tents. 
The Israelites knew well the history that Moses was recovering here. Every kid, you have to think, Mom, Mom, Dad, why can't we build a house? It's hot. It's cold in the winter. It's only a few days to go up to Canaan. Well, Deuteronomy is a loud pronouncement that every child of God should be willing to hear another lecture from God because they're always for our good and they're always for His glory. And he tells us things we already know. Have you noticed that? Because he knows we forgot. And he knows that we care less than we should. If you do the math, 2.5, the conservative estimates are 2.5 million, probably upwards of 3 million people. For that generation had to die in the wilderness, out there. And it was a pretty not, uh, tight-knit group. In the wilderness for 40 years, there were approximately 200 funerals a day. And every time someone died, they would say, well, what is this about? And over and over, almost at every funeral, someone would say, whisper, or tell, or preach the fact that this happened out in the wilderness because they're under the judgment of God. I read a, an interesting article this week in preparation for the study night, which uh, some smart aleck archaeologist says, there are almost no evidences out in the wilderness of having that many people uh, out in the wilderness for that long without lots and lots of carcasses and bones and, and excavating uh, all of these graves. And we haven't found many of them. Well, there's a reason for that. Remember what? Joseph wanted to happen to his bones when he was in Egypt. Now, it's a little gross, but let me tell you what they would do. They would, they would either bury the body or they would um, uh, put it in a place where the animals could have its way, the birds could have its, its way with the, with the flesh, where all that was left was bones. Then they would put it into a little box, an ossuary, and they would take the bones back to where they wanted to bury them. And there's no doubt that every one of those Israelites wanted their bones not scattered out there in the wilderness. But they couldn't go in. And as we'll see, neither could, neither could Moses. Why was Israel not given the land of Moab, by the way? I think it's important. This, this is covered in, in um, uh, verse 9 uh, verse 19, but, but, but Moab was a really nice place. It's just across the river. It's close enough. Why not take Moab? Well, you'll remember that the Moab, Moabites were descendants of Lot's son, Moab, by his firstborn daughter. You can look at Genesis 1937 for that. The Ammonites were descendants of Lot's son, uh, Ben-Ami, and his uh, youngest daughter, and you can see Genesis 19, uh, 38 for that as well. And God said that is given to them, and he kept his promise. You can't have that. Moses reflects on Israel's victory over Sihon, the king of Heshbon, in these early chapters, and his people, victory given to them by God, Israel's victory over King Og of Bashan and his people, including the victory over the Sidonians and the Amorites, all the cities of the plain, and all of Gilead, that's in chapters 3, 1 to 11. He rehearses this, this history, and he was priming them. He's saying, if you can take care of these people... I can help you take care of the Canaanites, which would happen. All we have to do is get into Joshua, and, and you see that um, when they followed the plan and the 
ordinances of God, they were defeating armies way better and more trained and bigger than themselves. So he rehearses. This is what happened. Here's, here's uh, why you wandered around. Uh, just a few highlights. Look in chapter 1. Uh, he says in, down in verse 17, You shall not show, remember he's rehearsing their history, You shall not show partiality in judgment. You shall hear the small and the great alike. You shall not fear man, for judgment is God's. Moses wants them to know from the very beginning that God is still judge. God is on top. God is in charge. You should act like God. Remember their grumbling in verse 27? You grumbled in your tents and said, because the Lord hates us, he's brought us out here to die. Bad circumstances will always lead to bad theology unless it's countered and controlled by biblical data. Just remember that. If you have a bad circumstance, that's going to cause you to doubt God, to think worse of God than, than you should, and less of God than he is, and that will only be corrected by biblical data. They didn't have this biblical data. They weren't looking at, well, they had it accessible. They weren't looking at that, so their conclusion was their theology proper got upside down. The Lord hates us. Oh, really? He hates you? That's why he brought you out of Egypt? You're back there complaining, and he brings you out here. He says, well, the Lord's going to starve us. And then he sends manna, and then they complain about the manna, so he sends them quail. He says, you want some meat? I'll give you meat. And this manna was, was uh, some kind of food substance. I love the, all the commentaries that say what manna was when the whole point of, the, of manna is we don't know what it was. In fact, manna means what is it? It was white stuff they could cook in a lot of ways and eat, and it was nutritious and took care of. And then they complained about that, and God said, well, they want, we want some meat. We're carnivores. So he sends quail. That must have been an epic quail hunt, Richard. Uh, they didn't have to hunt it. Here's the quail. They fall, walk up the door, they flop over, you pluck it, breast it out, fry it. It was good, good stuff. And then they still complained about that. Verse 32, for all this you did not trust the Lord your God. Wow. Count your blessings and see that you trust God. Look over chapter 2 for a second. <laughs> he says this in verse 7. Fear the Lord, for the Lord rather. Your God has blessed you in all that you've done. He's shown you, uh, he has known your wanderings through this great wilderness. These 40 years, the Lord your God has been with you and you have not lacked a thing. We also find out that they walked, get this, you think Nike has a good shoe? They walked for 40 years and what happened? Their shoes didn't even wear out. Their sandals held together. Remarkable. That was significant because there wasn't a lot of place to get leather goods out in the desert. Point is, God took care of you. I made you wander around in circles, chasing water, looking for food, trying to make sure that you're, you're, uh, you're, you're burying your, your, your dead and, and you're taking care of, of business and, and you're, you're, you're giving daughters away in marriage and sons away in marriage and, and life is going on, but it's never settled yet God takes care of you to wait for you to die so your children can go into the promised land. We talked about this last week. It's, um, 
It's remarkable how Moses responds to this whole inability to go into the land personally. He pleaded with the Lord to allow him to enter the promised land. The Lord refused but did not and did not allow Moses to go in but did allow him to see the land. It's a sad reality that Moses couldn't go in. And he begs God, come on, please, Lord, please. And God says no. Passes the leadership on to Joshua in in the end of chapter 3 and verses 21 and following. We have to read it again. In verse 25 of chapter 3, Moses says, Let me, I pray, cross over and see the fair land that's beyond the Jordan. Then he qualifies it, that good hill country and Lebanon. But the Lord was angry with me on your account and would not listen to me. People have asked, what does that mean? How can he be angry with me? Well, shouldn't he be saying, I'm the one who hit the rock? He's just being corporate. He, he was angry with him, but his leadership. He was angry with him on the complaining. He was angry. He, God holds spiritual leaders responsible for those under their spiritual charge if they've been irresponsible in the exercise of that leadership. And Moses had been. He'd operated in the power of the flesh as well, right? There's a corporate dimension. Interestingly, you see this corporate dimension of leadership in Daniel chapter 9. Daniel, so far as we know, didn't do anything wrong. He came over to Babylon as a teenager. You know, he and Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, and they, they stand up to the then-known king of the world. They're doing what's right. Then in Daniel 9, when God says, okay, the time, the 70 years is over, it's time to go back to the land, Daniel prays, and what does he say? Forgive us, Lord, for our sin. He assumes the responsibility for things done a generation ago. Remarkable spiritual ownership. The point of these first three chapters, and we'll come back and reference these as we go through the book. That's why we're not going to dive in verse by verse. The point of these first three chapters is very simple. It's really, really, really simple. He's saying to this new generation, I know you know the story, but eye contact, look at me, saying, listen, I want you to hear again why your mom and your dad died in the wilderness. And I want you to never forget. It's God's providence that we did communion tonight, which is a memorial ceremony. That's what these first three chapters are. I want you to remember. Now, remember, they knew. There are no doubts that they knew exactly what was happening. And Moses tells them again, records the history. This was written down so that their children's children's children would understand exactly what happened in that generation. This was an epic fail in the life of Israel. And he wanted them to see it so they wouldn't repeat the mistake. Don't see what God has done and complained about it. Don't see the promises God makes and doubt it. So if we could go and plow through these first three chapters at the highest altitude, let me just kind of pull it together in a couple of lessons, four or so, okay? God gave us memory, ready, for us to remember. I know that seems profound, but he gave us memory so we would remember. 
It glorifies God best when our memory is used to remember the past in order to glorify him in the present. I know it seems obvious, but it's very important. He wants us to remember the past so that we have the data to know how to glorify him in the present. That's why we have the history books. That's why we have the first uh, uh, part of the Bible that we think, that doesn't have anything to do with me. It has everything to do with us because he's saying, do what they did that was right and don't do what they did that was wrong. The book of Ecclesiastes is really interesting. Solomon basically says, listen, he says, remember your creator in the days of your, what, youth, Ecclesiastes 12, 1, and the point is, you, you've got a choice. Experience is the greatest teacher. You can learn by my experience and my pain, or you can learn by your own experience and have your own pain. Now, in the economy of wisdom, which is better? Solomon says, don't do what I did. And Moses is saying, use your memory to remember the past in order to glorify him more in the present. That's personal history. That's biblical history. Know the past so you don't repeat its mistakes. And you can anchor yourself on his victories. A second lesson from this memory of the wanderings in the wilderness. Sin has consequences even in the midst of grace. Sin has consequences. What did Paul tell the Galatians? Make no mistake. You will reap what you sow. And I remember my grandfather used to say, you can take the nail out of the wood, but there's still a, there's still a hole. You will reap what you sow. That's what, there, the, there was massive cyclical decisions that kept coming back, back and back. It was the same consequences that were given for the decisions that they were making in these wilderness wanderings. Sin has consequences. It has grace. God's extension of grace is, is unending, but sin has consequences. Has consequences in our marriages. Has consequences in our parenting. Has consequences in our friendships. Has consequences in our relationships. Moses says, listen, remember, sin equals cursing. Obedience equals blessing. Third, this is good. God keeps his promises and can be trusted. The good part about this is when you get over into Joshua, they cross the Jordan. They defeat the Canaanites. They inherit the land. God did exactly what he said he would do. And I can't resist this little footnote He promised it would be theirs forever. It's not all theirs right now, but there will be a day when he will restore that land to Israel. Number four, running in circles and cycles should cause us to ask serious spiritual questions. You know, all of us understand what it's like to run in circles. Communion is a great reminder that we, we can ask every week, or we, every month we do it, are, are we confessing the same sins as last month? Has there been any traction on fighting this, this, this um, uh, debilitating, uh, uh, encumbering sin? How, how am I doing? All of us have cycles and circles that we can run in. What broke the cycle for Israel was obedience. That's why he says in chapter 30, choose life. That's an amazing option he gives us, isn't it? You have the, 
You can choose life. What's the alternative? Choose death. Spiritually, physically, in every sense. These Israelites, as we read last week, read every verse in these first three chapters. They had victories over some battles that they encountered along the way, and God gave them clear indication, if you trust me, I'll fight for you and I'll make it happen. But they also learned if they go without God and they don't understand God's regulations, there's a problem. What's the first lesson, the first major lesson about that in the book of Judges? Achan, right? Achan goes, go and do exactly what I say. Don't take any spoil. What does he do? He keeps some back and the whole army, the whole nation is punished because of that. Running in cycles and circles should cause us to ask serious spiritual questions. If you keep, if you keep running into the same thing, you've got to ask some questions. I, I, uh, I was fascinated as a child with a lot of strange things, but I remember watching uh, with, with tremendous amusement at the flies inside our house that wanted to get out. And no matter how many times they flew against the glass... They would die and fall in the window pane, right? Because they kept saying, I don't believe something's here, even though I keep running into it. Now, I wonder how many times that's like us. We just keep running into the same spiritual obstacle over and over and over, and we won't make any changes. That's what was happening in these cycles of sin. He recounts the conquest. He shows the victory. He tells the reason for the generation that died off. And then, beginning in chapter 4 next week, he gets specific on telling them and teaching them what they are to do. Just read verse 6 in chapter 4. So keep them and do them the commandments, for this is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples who will hear all these statutes and say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there who has a God so near to it as the Lord our God whenever we call on him? How can we live? How can we live in a way that chooses life? You love God. You obey God. That's the foundation. And in chapter 4, he turns to the practical and says... You've got the history. We read it last week. You've got the history. You remember what happened. Now, I'm going to look into your eyes. This is that, uh, that opportunity when you grab your sons when he's two or three years old, little cheekbone, and you have him look you eye to eye and say, listen to me. This is what's happening beginning in chapter four. Uh, when one of my sons was younger, uh, much younger, um, mom had a at a distracting moment, she was looking at the news on the television or something, and um, this certain son, um, just for argument, let's call his name Luke. Um, <laughs> he was a little bitty guy, doesn't remember it. He climbed up in Kim's lap, and I was sitting right there, and I watched it, and he grabs her jawbone and says, son, look at me. <laughs> he said that to her. Obviously, he had heard, that is a way you get someone's attention. (laughs) Beginning in chapter 4 is that son, look at me moment. And it extends into chapter 5, a little preview. We're going to do chapter 4, either in one week or two, I haven't decided yet. And then beginning after Christmas, we're going to come back and we're going to slow down in chapter 5 because that is the 10 
Commandments. And that's, that's, when do you get to preach the Ten Commandments? So we're going to slow down and enjoy each of those, one per week, and um, see what relevance that law has for us today. Father, dismiss us with thoughts of your goodness and grace. We are so like these Israelites, running in circles. As we read last week, the continual reminder that their sin had consequences, and it was going to cost them ultimately death. Teach us to choose life by loving you and by obeying you, by honoring you in our midst. Draw us into yourself by your word and because of the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to a presentation of Mission Road Bible Church in Prairie Village, Kansas. For more information, visit missionroadbiblechurch.com.